Welcome to Two Priests Talking, a podcast where two priests sit down to have a conversation about our current cultural moment and how we might engage with what is happening in the world around us as faithful Christians. Greetings, I'm Father Aaron Wright, the rector at Old North Abbey Anglican Church here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I am one of the two priests talking, and we're hoping to bring you conversations about reasonable faith in what seems to be less than reasonable times. I'm the second priest of Two Priests Talking, Father Nick Hamilton, the associate rector here at Old North Abbey, and we are literally two priests talking. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Father Aaron. How are you? I'm doing pretty well today. Um, We have just been blessed with uh, October, November weather here in September. Amen. It feels like an appropriate ember. Yeah, it's been so nice. It's been great. Yeah. Um, But it is good to be here. We turned the heat on in the studio this morning. It's a little warm up here in the balcony of Two Priests Talking Studios. It is, but it's... It's nice. It's pleasant. It is. It's very, very pleasant. Did you happen to watch um, anything that came on TV last night? Maybe (laughs) like a thing. What was on TV? It wasn't Vols football, if you were wondering out there. No, that's Saturday. Saturday. That's how we do it here. Uh, We had a presidential debate last night. Did you watch any of that? Can you call it a debate? I, you know, I, th- I thought it was another word that started with a D-E-B, but I thought it finished with an ockle. Ockle. Debacle. I don't want to get into the politics of it. This is one thing I will say. When I was young, mm. I remember watching Reagan and Mondale as a young boy. I was probably seven, you know. Yeah, I was probably seven years old. I remember watching that in our house. Mm. And... And part of that was a learning experience about, you know, watching two really prominent people talk to sure. one another. Yeah. And I, I can remember moments from that debate even still that I thought were really neat, you know. Uh, and there was this sort of jovial, even though, I mean, they're debating, there's still this jovialness that they have with one another. They were able to talk. The, the thing that saddened me is I don't know if I would let my I can't let my kids watch the presidential debates because they <laughs> wouldn't they wouldn't learn how to talk about things in an adult kind of way. No, I I made the joke to a couple friends this morning that sadly I think my children are more capable of cogent and coherent debate more capable of cogent and coherent debate than our two presidential candidates at the moment and. You know, for what it's worth, I think that that's part of what we've been talking about to some degree or another over the course of the last several weeks is our discourse as as a whole, as a nation, has devolved to a place where we've placed ourselves in one camp or another and name-calling suffices if you're already in a camp. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're so identified with a particular group then you can just shout insults back and forth across the divide between you. And that's an interesting place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it, it's a product of our, it's a product of our culture too, because I don't think we would have the patience to listen to 
uh, like a Reagan Mondale type conversation. I'm not a biography reader, but my <clears throat> wife is shout out to our two listeners, Katie and Brenna. Uh, Brenna's read some biographies too. Is she a biography reader? I'm really not, but Katie really, I think she's actually read it twice. The Lincoln biography team arrivals was one that she really found fascinating. And one of the things that she found fascinating was the nature of discourse back then was so profoundly different from how it is today, where people would gather outdoors and listen to the presidential candidates debate for hours, mm -hmm. like thoroughly debate. And one of the things that she found most fascinating was that Lincoln, after he won the election, filled his cabinet with all of those who were running against him. Because he recognized the importance of having people who thought differently than him surround him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This feels so serious this morning. <laughs> well, and I think to some degree it's because this is round two for us, right? Yeah. We, we gathered yesterday morning in an attempt to record this podcast, and we didn't like what we walked away with. I think that would be an understatement. Yeah. I think we walked away shaking our heads going, it's it's really difficult to talk what we're going to to talk about what we're going to talk about sure. today as you're listening to this. Which isn't politics. It's not. But in some ways. Well, in some ways it is, it but impacts. it's also it also revealed to us just um how um incapable you and I are <laughs> <laughs> to have good we're not very smart guys, Nick. Well, it's, it's sobering, you know, to yeah. recognize that you have limitations. And I think, you know, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I, and I think, yeah, it does feel serious off the bat, but it's important probably for us to say that we really do view, view these conversations as a bit of a spiritual discipline for us. We're, we're practicing working out our faith in, a, in, in, in conversation so that we can live it out faithfully mm -hmm. in the world around us. And that's, I think, worth doing. I think it's worth having the conversation with a good friend, somebody who can push back on you. Do we need, uh, do I need to get a good friend up here so I can do that? Yeah, or? probably. I mean. <laughs> no, I love you. Yeah. And vice versa. I yeah, love you, you too. It's, you are, it's been a blessing. You are a dear friend. Um, you're, you're, you're like in my top 20. Sweet. <laughs> Yes, Napoleon no. Diamond, yes. But you, no, you're right. And we had talked about this even earlier this morning as we were sort of processing coming up here and talking again was that we don't approach this conversation as academic scholars. Or philosophers. Or philosophers. Um, we are, as you say in your... Literally. You, literally. We are literally two priests. Priests talking. And... Not two priests. Yeah, make sure we remind that people of that. Stalking. <laughs> so uh, we do look at it from a very different perspective. Right. We look at it from our vocation, mm -hmm. this ontological reality that we believe, you know, in some way, shape, or form, we have been made priests by the ordination that God has given us. And so our job is word and sacrament. You know, our job is to faithfully administer the word and the sacraments. And so that's the framework that we engage with the world around us from. And I think that's right for us. Yeah. It, for us to try to be something else would be, um, it would be, a, it, this could be a failure. 
<laughs> sure. But that would definitely be a failure. Right. If we were to try to approach this from just a, a sort of scholarly academic perspective, Correct. because we are, as we view ourselves, kind of where uh, the rubber meets the road in terms of just real people's lives and right. here, have this, have this bread and wine. Yes. Hear these good words. Yes. Um, and we believe that that's really helpful. Right. Um, Amen. We believe, yeah, but we believe that's what everybody should be doing too, in some ways. Correct. Yeah. Correct. This, yeah. This is a call for humanity to to take those things which God has given them and, and hold them before the Lord and and distribute them to the world. And so, um, that's one of the things we're trying to do. So today we are talking about racism. Right. And in light of what you just said, we do believe that the call of all humanity is to be a priesthood. You know. Uh, taking the good things that God's given them and not just hoarding them, but like you said, distribute them throughout the world. And racism, as we see it, is the breakdown of exactly that call. It's the selfish pursuit of elevating one particular group over another based on the color of their skin. Or anything. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> particularly, yeah, particularly within yeah. racism, the color sure. of their skin. And yeah. so we, we want to talk today about racism. And we also want to talk in particular, again, as priests, not as academics or scholars, about cultural race theory and how we see some of that thought process impacting the world around us. Did you say cultural race theory or critical race Excuse theory? me, critical race theory. Yes, critical yeah. race theory. Um, critical a AKA race theory. CRT. CRT. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. Critical race theory and how we see it impacting the world around us um, in, in positive and negative ways. Right. But we also are wanting to, we're wanting to approach it from a little bit of a different perspective today, I think. Sure. Um, which we, what we want to do, and we have said this earlier, that this could be a two-part thing because we tried yesterday. Yeah. We were at an hour and 20 minutes and we were bumfuzzled in our heads. We really could not get what we wanted to say out. Yeah. And so we decided to, to do it today. It may be a two-part thing. It may come out next week, the second part. It could come out later on today. We, we don't know. We don't know. But it, we're wanting to hopefully take it to a two-part thing because we think it really is that important. Yeah. So as we were talking about critical race theory, Father Nick, you had made a good point, and I think it's written right here beside us on our board that keeps us focused. Um, you believe it's a caricature. Yeah. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit? Well, I think, I think critical race theory is engaging with a very real problem that we see in the world, right? Racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think that, and we'll define critical race theory. We'll read the definition here in a moment. But I think that what critical race theory does, what CRT does, is it creates a caricature that does not allow us to talk about the tremendous evil that racism actually is. Mm. It creates a boogeyman of sorts that isn't actually going to help us demolish some of these power structures that exist within racism. And ultimately, we believe the only way to do that is through the gospel. Um, and, I, and I think we believe that that's actually been accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But one of the things that we're seeing in CRT and in critical race theory and in our conversations about race in the U.S. at this particular moment in time is that 
we're not succeeding in undoing what we hope to undo in the dialogue that we're having. And I think that some of that is due to the nature of CRT. Yeah, it feels as if there is a, to me, it feels as if there's a little bit of what you said of, of a breaking down of things. Mm-hmm. There's almost like a, a bull in a china shop feel um, where it just feels like everything's getting scattered. Mm-hmm. And there's no sense of how do we build something mm-hmm. better? Sure. How do we how do we do this from the perspective of not just uh, putting a bull in a china shop? And that's the only thing I can come up with in my head right now to mm-hmm. say it feels like what you're saying is that there's this really big issue. Yeah. And our thing, it, well, with CRT, the CRT perspective would be like let's break everything down. Mm-hmm. Right. So just flatten everything. But I don't know if there's a, a way to build. I don't know if there's an answer within CRT about how, because I don't, and we'll get to this. Mm. I don't think anything outside of the gospel of Jesus actually, quote unquote, solves the problem. Right. 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 Well, and you're right. You know, CRT is ultimately rooted in. Marxism and postmodern thought and its emphasis is really on deconstruction of particular power structures. And again, we're not, we're going to talk about this as priests, but deconstruction of power structures and within CRT, the dominant power structure as you look at it is a patriarchal white society that needs to be deconstructed. Uh, from the top down and that becomes difficult and I think we'll go ahead and read and we won't engage fully with this but I'm going to go ahead and read a definition from the Encyclopedia of Diversity and Social Justice Um, and Sherwood Thompson gives us this definition of critical race theory wait would you let me jump in real quick sure because we we talked about how difficult this is to talk about yeah I think this is important before you read that definition yeah um, I want to I want to hit on just a personal thing. I think when you said that, I want to know how you I want to know how you felt when you just had to make that statement about it's the breaking down of a white patriarchal system. Sure. Um, yeah. Tell me how you felt saying that. Because I'm a white male. Yeah. <laughs> it, who's a priest? Yeah, you know, you could even go one further and say mm-hmm. the religious power structures, etc. Um, this is an honest answer, and I've said this to several other people. If I am the problem, I do not have any difficulty with engaging with change that needs to come. So that's a personal statement. Like, if I'm the problem as a white male, and there's something that I can legitimately do to change the existing Mm -hmm. structures in such a way that racism ceases to exist, then please tell me how to do it. And by the grace of God, I will step into that role faithfully, knowing that this is ending racism is gospel work. Absolutely. Uh, And so I don't have a problem with, with being rebuked and even needing to 
spend time on my knees in repentance and asking for forgiveness should that be necessary of me um and i've really i've really wrestled with what does lament look like for me as a white male as we engage with uh the violence that's been perpetuated against um unarmed black people over the last few years what does it look like for me to raise my voice in lament and solidarity with my black brothers and sisters how do i um help them in this time Mm -hmm. What does it look like for me to care for them? How do I shepherd our parish through these issues? So I feel frustrated to some degree Mm -hmm. with this idea that it's a white patriarchy that's the problem. And that could be sin in me, pride. I don't know. Maybe I need to be more, maybe I need to embrace more humility but I also uh, think that that's what I mean by a caricature. I think we've chosen yeah. the white patriarchy because it's an easy target and it's a prominent target. But even if we demolish the white male power structures in Western, you know, in the Western world, we're not going to solve the problem of racism. And that is the difficulty that I have with critical race theory kind of at its most basic form. Mm -hmm. It's a shadow game. You know, it's like that game that you see street magicians play with the cards. Which card is it? You know, and they shuffle them all up and you think for sure you know which one it is and they've got you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big part of where we're at is we've, bought into this idea that if we can just undo this and do this instead, then the world will be fixed. So that's a long answer to your question. No, but I think it's important because I sensed that when we were talking yesterday and when you were saying those words, those exact words, part of me was going, and this may be one thing if we talk about D'Angelo's book. Sure. Right. Uh, White fragility. White fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Sure. Uh, it's precisely that thing because I don't know you and I, we don't know what we can and can't say. <laughs> sure. How do we speak about it? And that's going to be important later on. I think Yes. is this issue of what are we supposed to say? Mm-hmm. What is the correct language? How do my, be, because it keeps changing. Sure. Yeah. So I, I want that to be on the front end because I think it'll actually be helpful when we come to, um, the direction that we want to take today. Right. Right. Because yeah. it, it is difficult to have this conversation. Right. Yeah. Because we want to be faithful mm-hmm. and because we do believe that as priests, our job is to, in, in some ways, speak the truth of the gospel in love in a way that reaches people on all sides of these issues. Right. And so I can't pick one camp. It would be super easy to jump into a camp, one or another. It's, yeah, it yeah. feels really safe. Yeah, it's safe to have, I mean, it's safe to have people have your back. But you look at the Psalms, and I think that the thing that is fascinating to me is David was constantly hunted, and yet 100% certain that he was in the hands of God. And I think that that's one of the things 
that even as we enter into this, I've kept coming back to Paul's words at the beginning of Galatians. You know, if I was in this to serve man, you know, I would have gotten out of it a long time ago. But I recognize that my call is to serve the Lord. And so I'm not afraid mm-hmm. of the repercussions. And, and uh, he said that, I'm afraid. I think, you know, we, <laughs> we joked, we're afraid that Brenna and Katie might cancel us. Yeah, they may cancel us. They may. But yeah, so thanks for asking that question, Aaron. Oh, I think it's important. Yeah. yeah. It makes it a little bit more personal. Instead of just an idea that we're talking about, it, it really does resonate within us the difficulty of talking about what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. But yeah. I interrupted you, and you, well, were yeah. in the, you were in the middle of giving a definition of racism uh, by CRT or de- defining uh, critical race theory for us. So go ahead. Yeah, and I actually have two of these here, and I'm going to lean on the first one. But critical race theory, and this is a definition given by uh, Sherwood Thompson in the Encyclopedia of Diversity and Social, Social Justice. Excuse me. Critical race theory is a scholarly and political approach to examining race that leads to a consequential analysis and profound understanding of racism. It argues as a starting point that the axis of American social life is fundamentally constructed in race. As a result, the economic, political, and historical relationships and arrangements that social actors have to institutions and social processes are all based in race. CRT also argues that, as a whole, this idea has been purposefully ignored, subdued, and marginalized in both the dominant and public discourse, and that there are serious repercussions that arise from this structural blindness. One of the most important tenets of CRT is the assertion that race is socially constructed, yet it denotes explicitly and implicitly how power is used and appropriated in society. And that's where I'm ready to take a nap. You know, do you want to take a nap? Yeah, I mean, after you read something like that, it's like I'm just ready to take a nap. Can you read that one more time? I <laughs> I will. Fall, I fell asleep. I will fall asleep halfway through. <clears throat> but but I think there's a lot in this. But if I was to boil it down, just for the sake of you guys who are listening, the assumption here is that everything is or has to do with race. Um, yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. Everything has to do with race, even though race is a social construct. Mm-hmm. The argument being that it's a social construct in order to keep particular races in check while allowing other races to enjoy power and mobility mm-hmm. within a system that they have created. Mm-hmm. That system involves this idea of race. And as a result of this idea of race, it allows for the elevation of particular peoples over other peoples. And that, that, that would be my basic breakdown of it. And that extends itself throughout all of society, right. from business to politics to religion, et cetera. Right. There's no corner that's not untouched. Yes. Um, if you hold this viewpoint. So everything, what, you, what you're saying, what CRT is saying, as I hear you correctly, is that uh, everything is based on race. Right. Right. And so when we were talking about this, we discussed how we felt like this actually is a caricature of racism, right? Sure. And that it diminishes uh, it diminishes 
not, I don't want to say actual racism because there's elements of racism with, with what you're saying for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But it, it, in a sense, strips the human element from it. Sure. It strips the individual out of the scenario. Right. There isn't individual pieces. There's only a constituent. I mean, there's only the group that you're a part of. Right. You know? Yeah. So in this, what this does is this allows us to break society into very easily compartmentalized mm-hmm. groups. Right. Right. And then if you become wise enough or if you... um if you can make a jump from one group to the other in some ways, right? Intellectually. Intellectually. Or by giving up your power. Right. What we would say CRT is probably doing is you have this compartmentalization of humanity, and it's maybe an attempt to create a new kind of humanity Mm -hmm. uh, that sees things in a particular way. Sure. Right. Now, when we were talking about this yesterday, you brought up a really good point that you feel like it diminishes the um, the story of the gospel story. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't really allow us to have this concept of fall. Sure. Right? This concept of, well, creation sure. first, fall, redemption, and new creation, mm-hmm. which is the Christian, for those of you who are listening, this is the Christian grand narrative. Mm-hmm. God creates, mm-hmm. humanity falls, God redeems humanity. God makes all things new, mm. right? That's Amen. the overarching story. And so walk us through that, because I think you did a really good job when we've been talking about this. Can you walk us through this story of creation, fall, uh, redemption, and then new creation? Sure. Yeah, I think we believe as Christians that Genesis 1 and 2 tells us something really important. Now, you and I wouldn't hold to Genesis 1 and 2 being taken as any sort of scientific textbook. So it's, no. not about, it's not about how God created, but it's about why. And so we get this beautiful picture of the triune God in relationship discussing, hey, we're going to create this world. And they mm-hmm. do. They begin this beautiful grand project of creation, and its crowning achievement is humanity, right? You know, we see... God in conversation say, hey, let us make humanity in our own image. Let us make them male and female in our image. And we recognize that they not only create us in their their image, but God then gives us the same responsibility to some degree or another that he had in creating us. You know, he asks us to be uh, his vessels for loving and caring and conserving and expanding his love into the world around us, right? And we recognize that kind of as in the beginning we were to be a priesthood and we were to take the goodness of God into the world and reflect the praises of the world back to God. And our choice was to embrace our vocation or to choose something else. There was the choice and we chose something else. And we recognize that in that breakdown, in that moment when humanity chose themselves over God, that disaster occurred. You know, shalom was broken. Mm -hmm. And relationships in particular take a heavy hit. Our relationship with God immediately is broken. We hide. Right. Can you very quickly, because if somebody's listening and they don't know what shalom is. Shalom, yeah, the peace, the way things are meant to be. The wholeness. The wholeness of the world that 
we all sense is missing. Everybody knows that the world's not right. Right. There's not a single person who goes, yeah, the world, and it's in great shape all the time. It's really awesome. Nothing bad happens. <laughs> right? Sure. There's not been a single person who said that in 2020, I can assure you. Mm. What a year. Yeah. But so, yeah, so. Yeah, so. Oh, oh, and can I, because yeah. we have a really, we want, you and I both have a scholar. I don't even want to say a scholar, a priest who we love. I mean, Alexander Schmiemann. Sure. And his book for the life of the world talks about this moment that most people think about Eve like eating an apple and then mm. like and he says it's, he says it really interesting he says this is not an act of disobedience as much as it is being hungry for something other than what God's given you or being hungry for something other than God mm. right that's the fall that's the, where the brokenness comes in mm -hmm. is our appetite is different it's it's really interesting to think of it in that way mm -hmm. instead of just like I'm not put my foot down right she's not doing that we chose she, she's hungry for something other than yeah. what she's been given yeah she's not content and neither is adam mm -mm. right so there's and this, neither are we yeah no that's the whole, that's i mean that's that's it the whole issue is that we're not content right go yeah. ahead sorry i didn't mean yeah that. No, yeah yeah no no that's beautiful and i think it's important to think about it that way you know that lack of contentment leads us to this disaster that we find ourselves in yeah, it leads us to the broken relationships. Right, where God and humanity, our relationship with God's broken, we immediately hide, you know? God's mm -hmm. like, Adam, where are you? I heard you in the garden and I hid. Our relationship between each other's broken. We immediately attempt to make coverings for ourselves. We're no longer naked and, ashamed, and unashamed, but we're naked and ashamed. And then our relationship with creation is broken. My friend Franchaka always says that he thinks that Adam and Eve probably didn't finish eating whatever fruit they took a bite of, but that in that moment, chaos broke out in the garden. Mm -hmm. You know, that tiger that was their buddy was now out to get them. Knoxville tiger, you know. He's back. He's back. <laughs> and, and, well done. And, well done. and creation's relationship with itself, you know, the lion and the lamb no longer lay down peacefully together. And we are now broken in and of ourselves in that we see this as the foundation for... Um, our own mental illness, our own struggles with depression, discouragement, fear, anxiety, all of those things enter into the world in this moment. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And if you think, uh, and I heard somebody giving a lecture one time on this and the class was giggling when he was trying to give a lecture about this as if it was some sort of silly story, mm -hmm. as if it was some sort of story that like, oh, that's just the silliest thing. But this story is is a very true story in that everybody's doing this. Mm. Mm -hmm. Everybody's discontent. And as humans, we're always trying to create a way to hide mm. from God. And we're always trying to find a way to hide from one another. Mm -hmm. Social media is a perfect example. Is It's a fig leaf. Oh my gosh, it's a fig leaf. It's fig leaves. We cover ourselves up all mm. the time. We don't want anybody to know who we truly are. This is part of the, the mm. fall. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's even why it's so difficult to talk about this racism. Yeah. Because I have to take leaves off. Yeah. You know, oh, I have to take leaves off or and I'm afraid of what I might say and who who might be who might see me in what particular way. Um, because I recognize the bias and the sinfulness of my own heart. I wouldn't it, I wouldn't embrace the label racism, but I I need Jesus every day. You know? Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Lord, take the fig leaves off. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we do this all the time in, in society. Mm-hmm. We just don't realize we're doing it. Right. But we're always eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. We're always learning more evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And redefining good. Yeah. That's one of the fascinating things. Yeah. yeah. So we see all that brokenness after mm-hmm. the fall. And we see immediately God proclaim the gospel. Hey, you know, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent, even though he's going to bruise the heel of the one who will crush his head. And we see the echoes of Christ right there in the first, you know, explanation of the gospel. And Mm -hmm. that begins this grand process of redemption, you know, where we see Adam and Eve out of the garden. And uh, this would be one thing that I want to say that I think is important to put in this mix. You know, we see God create in the image, in his own image, right? Mm -hmm. And then in Genesis 5, something fascinating happens where we read that once Adam, I forget how old he is, once Adam's a particular number of years old, he fathers a son named Seth. And the language there is fascinating because it says, and he fathered Seth in his own image. Mm -hmm. A broken image. A broken image. And that's Mm -hmm. crucial to our understanding of what we're talking about today, because that's part of this redemption process, is God is restoring his image in us through Christ. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's what we believe. So, you know, you have this huge story arc. You know, Scripture is the story of redemption. And we know the end is new creation, when God brings heaven to earth and our home is with him and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation sing, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Was and is and is to come. But we're not there yet. So we recognize that I, I obviously fast-forwarded through the cross and all sorts of stuff. Well, but it's important to bring up uh, the, the Jesus part is important, Nick. Yeah, okay. do you, do you, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Sure. Yeah, I don't so, want to steal it all. Yeah, so the beautiful thing is that um, is that Jesus comes as as a full image of God, mm-hmm. right? So God does something unique. He sends the God Man, right? Yeah, God, what a beautiful thing. Who then is able to restore the image of humanity back to its proper place, mm-hmm. right? So this is the redemption part. Right. Now, Jesus is a first century Jew. Yes. Uh, he finds himself in a really weird place. Uh, his own social group, right? His own social group in some ways holds power at that time because he is a Jew amongst Gentiles. They really viewed themselves. They viewed themselves as... Being as, better than. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that element's going on, mm-hmm. right? So he, he finds himself in that group. But he also finds himself in the midst of empire, mm. um, of Roman empire, which views the Jews is less than yeah. too. So he, he's walking this interesting place, mm-hmm. right? Where he is this God man, mm-hmm. which actually don't tell anybody actually makes him superior. <laughs> right. But he actually takes the position of inferiority, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. just, it's a beautiful part of the story. He distributes his power justly, if you will. <laughs> yes, in a, absolutely. In because no one is outside of his range. Mm-hmm. He goes to uh, Gentiles, he goes to Roman centurions, he goes to his own people. For him, there's no issue. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally, as Paul would say later, breaks down the walls mm-hmm. that separate humanity. Mm-hmm. So only in Jesus, if we get to the race issue of this, Jesus restores humanity back into its original image. Mm-hmm. Not because we become perfect, 
right. but because we place ourselves in Jesus. Correct. We put all of our faith, all of our trust, all of our hope in the perfect image, mm-hmm. right? So as the church, the body of Christ, even though we fail, mm-hmm. right, we still place ourselves into his image and we ask him to transform us daily into mm-hmm. his image, conform mm-hmm. us to be like you, right? so that we can now engage the world in the way that he did. Right. right? Yeah. I've got so much of Paul running through my head because <laughs> we've been in Romans and Philippians and everything else. But yeah, there's this reality that when we are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. He's allowed us through our baptism into his death and resurrection to walk in newness of life. Mm-hmm. There's all these pictures, these examples of how we now in Christ can live into our true humanity. Right. One that recognizes that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, right. male nor female. Everyone is made in God's image. And once they are in Christ, there's this beautiful opportunity. Well, the opportunity for us who are in Christ is to love everyone equally already. <laughs> but once people are in Christ, it's to be a child of God, all as children of God on a level playing field, as sinful, broken humans who have been brought into the family. Right. Now, absolutely. So there's the second element of redemption. Sure, yeah. That we don't necessarily always, we don't really talk about it much, unfortunately. I think in Anglican circles we do. And in under the Orthodox, we'd, we'd really say, yeah, here's, but Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So Pentecost is unique in that what it does is, and we'll get to this probably in episode two more, but uh, Pentecost is actually the filling of the human, the broken human, mm-hmm. with God's very spirit. Mm-hmm so that it can be an image bearer. Yes. Right. That's really important. Super important. Because the spirit that God breathed into Adam in the beginning mm-hmm. is the same spirit that is breathed into us mm-hmm. so that we can be we can become the new kind of human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right that we're called to be. Right. That God desires. Right. So that we live into the broken world as redeemed and restored people. Still going to make mistakes. Right. Still going to fail. Right. But there's this issue of always continually being saved, mm-hmm. redeemed. Mm-hmm. Work out your work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I, I am walk, saved. I'm being saved. I will, will be, be saved. saved. Right. We did that in unison because yeah. I knew where you were going. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Right. But this right. is that part of it. And so what happens in Pentecost, what happens in a new humanity, right, mm-hmm. is that relationships can be fully restored. Right. Not that they'll be easy. No, it'd be really difficult because we still navigate a world that's broken. Right. You know. Right. Um, So that's the redemption piece. Mm -hmm. Right. It's Mm -hmm. it's twofold. It's Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, but it's also this issue of God sending His Spirit to fill us to Mm -hmm. become something new Mm -hmm. again. Like I like that idea of being new again. Yeah. Right. So humanity now has hope. Right. In this story right so i'll let you take out new creation and then we'll jump into a spot that we skipped in this sure yeah yeah go ahead. well yeah yeah we we have hope in this new reality in the life death resurrection of christ and the sending of his spirit to come and dwell in us and ultimately and i love peter's words in his first letter 
where he says, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you use that word hope, like that's what we now look forward to. We recognize that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but we are awaiting its consummation in the new creation when God will come and make his home with us here in a restored earth. And we will see the ceasing of all of the problems, all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the hurt that we so rightly acknowledge as being the repercussions of the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's into that mix, and and we'll go here in a second, into that mix that CRT falls. Like CRT is an attempt to fix those things. To make things right. But it's rooted in our own choices, in our own appetites in many ways. Mm -hmm. But before we go there, we have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, we have new creation. But right after the fall, we see a couple of things happen real fast in Genesis, right? You know, we see Adam, Father Seth in his own image. We see, well, even before that, Cain kill Abel. We are confronted with the evil and wickedness of the world. There's the flood. Noah, after the flood, and this is the fascinating thing. He's in this new world. He grows a vineyard. He presses some grapes. He gets drunk on some wine. And we all of a sudden, in the same way that we saw Adam and Eve naked and ashamed, we see Noah naked and ashamed after the flood. And it's in that kind of tone, that space where there's a story that I think helps us understand CRT really well. And that's the story of Babel. Right. Um, it would be, I hadn't even put those two together in terms of what shame leads us to, mm-hmm. but shame leads us to atoning for ourselves. Right. Right. No, exactly. So that's, and, and we, that's kind of how I view the tower of Babel. Now this where I may get just a little bit quote unquote academic, right? <laughs> sure. But, uh, if you're hearing this and you're like, you know, are they, talking about this actual tower that everybody was building. Uh, to me, that's not even the issue in the story. Sure, it could the, be. It could be. This This is a story about what we do as humans mm-hmm. when we try to atone for ourselves, when we try to make ourselves higher, when we try to make ourselves better, when it becomes rooted in our own abilities. So the Tower of Babel is a really interesting story because the way it's set is that everybody spoke the same language. Mm. Right, so there's this issue of we're going to speak this language, right? Mm-hmm. Same language, and because we can speak the same language, we can do something really interesting. We can reach the heavens mm. in our own ability. We can reach the level of enlightenment. We can reach the level of the highest uh, being, who is God. We can get up there. Mm. We can do it. Mm. Right. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So you have this whole issue of what humanity thinks it can do. Rooted in its fall, rooted in its shame, Mm. it tries to usurp that with this new erection of this tower. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do it. It's a a far cry from fig leaves. You know, they're like... Oh, yeah. It's the total opposite. Let's go big or go home, you know? Our first attempt was fig leaves... Now let's build a tower that reaches the heavens. Yeah, let's get up there. Yeah. So I love in this story, it's one of my favorite parts in all of scripture, 
Well, I don't know what God's doing up there, but he's, he, he says, like, let us go down and see what they're doing. <laughs> I always envision God sort of like, like blowing uh, a little bit through the clouds and then getting down on his hands and knees with like this magnifying glass to look at this m- amazing high tower they've built in the dust. Yeah. And so God seeing, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's God knowing that this is what they would do. Can I just, yeah, go it's ahead. like one of those things. I love my kids and I love the things that they build, you know, but there's this, there's this, uh, attempt at times not to bruise egos, you know, as, as a father, I don't want to bruise an ego. And so, you know, the things, especially when they were younger, my kids are pretty awesome. Actually, I'm impressed with the stuff that they can build out of Legos and other things, but when they're little and they're building, you know, that Lego structure for the first time and they come to tell you about it and you're like, Oh, that's what that is. And you can't see it at all. That's, that's kind of no, how you I, can't. Yeah. <laughs> no. you can't, yeah. This happened. This happened on Monday with Shepard. <laughs> uh, we, we decided to build Lincoln logs together. Sure. So he was going to build something. And oh, I was going to like build old school Lincoln logs. Yeah. Like, man, we no. have a whole chest of these. Things. Nice. I was going to build something. I built a church, like a traditional cr- cross shaped mm-hmm. church with a high ceilings and, and um, I mean, it was pretty awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> it was it was beautiful. Yeah. We'll keep that in mind for our expansion. And he built this. I mean, it probably stretched eight feet. It was like Legos laying down. Yeah. He had like roofs laying on the carpet with windows on top of them. Yeah. And he had this whole story about how awesome it was. And um, Phoebe came home and she was like, wow, dad, did you build that cool church? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I did. She's like, that's amazing. And I'm like, but look at Shepherds. And she kind of looked at it and she was like, oh, that's, and I'm like, it's amazing. <laughs> and he was able to explain it away, right? That's exactly it. And I love that God's so brutal in Babel. He's like, <laughs> I'm not going to dignify this tower with any sort of words of, you know, uh, uh, congratulations. That's not amazing at all, right? Right. But God knew what we would do. Sure. If we could speak the same language, what our attempt would be to cover our shame. It would be to reach him. Yeah. And so he scatters us sure. through language. He actually changes our speech. Right? He makes us then, I think, have to learn how to actually relate to one another mm-hmm. in ways that are patient and take time. But in our own frustration with that, we actually scatter across the earth. Mm-hmm. Because it's really difficult to reach God Honestly, there's a good lesson in this. It's really difficult, quote unquote, to reach God if you can't get along with your brother mm. or your sister. I mean, the language is broken. That's scripture too, right? Anyone who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Yeah. The Spirit of God's not in him. So our language is totally broken. Yeah. But what we do, uh, and this is where we're heading to, is throughout history what we try to do is we try to create our own babbles. Right. The we, the story of humanity is empire after empire. In right. A, in same a, speech, same kind of people. Right. Let's do everything the same. Yeah. And this will elevate us amongst the peoples. Mm-hmm. It'll make us gods. Right. Babylon, Assyria, Rome. Uh, you, you go on and on. The project of humanity is to conquer and create conformity. Now, Rome's a little unique. They allow for 
people like the Jews to have their own religion, as long as they don't mess with things too much. Well, they were smart, and that conformity yeah. for them meant just pay me money. Right, right, right. Keep the peace. Peace for them was crucial, though. Yeah, pox. Yeah. Good old pox Romana. But just it, 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 peace is really rooted in finance. Sure, sure. Well, and we could talk about that another time. But you, but I think that that's crucial for us to see is that the project of humanity has been Babel after Babel. And I think we see this, um, you know, like I said, Assyria, Babylon, Rome. Uh, you see it in uh, Germany in their well, attempts in World War II. Yeah, Babels one. create, Babels actually create racism. And very much so, because it's about that coerced conformity. You know, it's about who is like me that I can conquer the world with mm-hmm. in order to achieve this particular thing. And this has been a problem since day one. Sure. This is not, and this is racism is not an American issue only. And that's a part of the problem with CRT is CRT puts a lot of the foundations of racism at the beginning of uh, British colonialism's slave empire. Mm-hmm. You know, it starts there, but I think that's part of the failure too, is it doesn't recognize that this has existed throughout humanity from the beginning of humanity, that Cain killed Abel because he wanted the blessing. And as you fast forward throughout the story that we're a part of, it's the same story that we see over and over again. It's this grasping for things as a result of our discontentment and whether you're white or black or brown, we see, I mean, uh, China's uh, brutal murder of, or Japan's brutal murder of millions of Chinese. 18 million Chinese killed in World War II. That's that's not, that's not, that's civilians, I believe. Sure. We see this in the way that India's caste system is set up. Mm -hmm. We see this in South Africa. Man, the brutal racism that existed in South Africa. And that wasn't the British, you know, that was the the Dutch. And you you see these examples. Was uh, it the Dutch? It was, yeah. Yeah, because you get the Afrikaners from that. And um, it's... It's a part of our fallen humanity to tribalize and then to subjugate and then to demand conformity. Um, and it's a really difficult part of our human story. It's not something that can be glossed over. In the U.S., you know, with our trail of tears and the way that, you know, we uh, really... in there's no way to romanticize what we did as a nation, but demolished the native peoples who were here before us. And even the way that we treated many of the Mexicans who were here and, uh, racism's a real issue. It's huge. And I think that it's a real issue that needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed faithfully. And I think, and can I just, for the sake of yeah, do it, uh, push back or whatever? No, I'm not pushing back. I just want to, I want to bring one of them up yeah. uh, because I think it's important. Um, was how the Vikings destroyed Ireland? <laughs> sure, because well, you know, I love Ireland. Yeah, sure. That kind of yeah. frustrates me. 
The Vikings destroyed Ireland and the British Isles and everything. Um, Yeah, when we were there last year, it was like, you know, you could see, we saw ruins of churches that would have been mm -hmm. during that. Yeah. You know, so that just wanted to get that out there because uh, just a little shout out to Ireland. Right, right, right. Well, and I think think that that's part of the problem is uh, critical race theory as it's practiced and understood today is ahistorical. And it does not take into account all of human history and the violence that has been perpetuated by humans against other humans because of race. Forever. Yeah, because of tribe, intro, uh, between, uh, inside of the races, you know, different tribal. And, and Israel is a perfect example of this. You know, way back in the story of the Old Testament, Israel was constantly at war with itself because there were 12 tribes and the tribes would get ticked off at each other. So this is an example of their own people fighting with each other. And while CRT, while critical race theory has gospel residue in that it acknowledges a problem that the gospel addresses, racism, it also does something that we as faithful Christians and even faithful students of history probably shouldn't do. And I think that what it does is it, in its attempt to redistribute power from those who are oppressed, uh, from those who are oppressors to those who are oppressed, it creates the same problem it's trying to solve. Yes. And that's a big thing to unpack in the time that we have How left. How much time do we have? We're sitting at 50 minutes. So I'm wondering if we pause here to some degree and ask this question that we can then answer in our next episode. Um, Is CRT a solution? Or is CRT simply resurrecting Babel once again? That's a great question. uh, And I think as we get into it in the next one more, hopefully, as you're listening, uh, Brenna and Katie. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. You've been... um, you know, your ears are just tingling to know the, the answer. Right. It, well, and I think, you know, it's a good question. And I think next time we can even address some more particularities in the U.S. in terms of our history that have led to critical race theory being embraced the way that it has, especially in regards to the plight of black Americans right. in the U.S. Absolutely. And we have some stats that we want to unpack because I think it's important to be g- generous yeah, CRT, CRT is trying to fix something right. that it sees broken. Right. Right. Clearly broken. Yeah. Um, but the question is, what, what, how is it trying to fix that? How is mm-hmm. it trying to remedy? And what are the requirements on people? What are we building? Right. Becomes the question. And I, I would love to, to get in that into the next episode. Yeah. Um, so let's pause there. It feels a little bit fragmented, but you know, this is the first time we've tried to do two episodes. Well, so. I like what we're, I like the direction we're going. Yeah. The question is, is critical race theory a solution to the race issue or is it simply another, is it a resurrecting of another babble? Right. Um, to innocence, deal with our shame, mm-hmm. deal with our guilt mm-hmm. to create atonement for ourselves. Mm. Right. Yeah. By creating something that we can look at and say, 
hey, it's moralistic therapeutic deism all over again. Sure. Look at it and say, look at us. Mm. We're good. Yeah, we've got this. We've got this. And truth is, as humans uh, outside of God's leading and guidance, we, we don't have this. We don't have this. Well, hey, uh, it feels appropriate in this season to close with a prayer for an election oh, from wow. the 2019 BCP. Yeah, let's do it. And then uh, I'll let you send us out with a blessing here. But this is prayer number 31 from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, to whom we must account for all our powers and privileges, guide and direct, we humbly pray, the minds of all those who are called to elect fit persons to serve here in the United States. Grant that in the exercise of our choice, we may promote your glory and the welfare of this nation and all people in this nation, not just one particular idea of this nation, Lord. This we ask for the sake of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, and receive this blessing, and may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face, and the rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, this was an enjoyable time. I yeah. really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thanks so much, Father Aaron. Absolutely. And Hamilton Wright 2020? <laughs> I'm not running for anything. I'm content with word and sacrament. Amen. Amen. Peace. Amen.